In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. To quote that masterpiece film from the 1980s, The Princess Bride, today in our epistle lesson, we will talk about love, true love. A true confession, when I think about love, I think about the greatest songs of all time, which are, as I know you'll agree, the soft rock hits of the 1980s and 90s. Phil Collins, Journey, Toto, Ario, Speedwagon, Mike and the Mechanics, Rod Stewart. Should I start singing? All I need is a miracle. I can, I can think of a thousand songs. You know, these are the songs that you hear in dentist's office and doctor's offices. Not kidding, my favorite kind of music. But here's the thing, today in our epistle, uh, first, uh, St. John is not talking about soft rock romantic love. Believe it or not, he's actually talking about love with a capital L, Christian love. Did you know there was a higher form of love than romantic love? Love with a capital L. And Christian love, love with a capital L, is much harder, isn't it? Um, in, in fact, this the, the Christ-like, self-sacrificial nature of Christian love, love with a capital L, uh, makes it not a very likely candidate for sentimental songwriting and romantic comedies. It's hard to make Christian love uh, sentimental when Christian love has at, at its center a death. Think about that. I must admit to you, as we study the passage today, that I, I, I am a person, um, in spite of the fact that I serve as a priest, I'm a person for whom it is very difficult to love in this way. I struggle to love. Hi, my name is Josh. I'm not good at love. Hi, Josh. Can I be really honest? A friend once said to me, probably the toughest thing I've ever had to hear, and I would imagine the toughest thing my friend has ever had to say, Josh, I think that you love yourself more than you love anyone else. Josh, I think you love yourself more than you love me and anyone else. Friends, today in the Scriptures, God invites us to consider love with a capital L, a love that without being born of God, without being attached to His love for us, is literally impossible to enact. It's not just hard to love, it's impossible to love with a capital L without God's help. So here's our theme, Christian love. Love with a capital L, a whole different kind of love than soft rock hits from the 80s and 90s. And 1 John teaches us three things about this theme of love. Let me give them to you all at once, and we'll move really quickly through each of them. First, from John, 1 John 4, love with a capital L, love is not God. Love is not God. God is love, but love is not God. 
We'll talk about it. Second, love lives in the church. Love with a capital L knows no home other than the church of Jesus Christ right here, you and me. Love lives in the church. And third, John teaches us that loved people love. Only loved people know how to love. Here we go. Take out your Scripture inserts. Follow along. 1 John 4, first, first truth about love with the capital L. Love is not God. Love is not God. Um, in his classic work, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis observes this. Love begins to be a demon the moment love begins to be a god. Love begins to be a demon the moment love begins to be a god. Uh, he goes on, if we ignore this truth, then the idea that God is love may slyly come to mean for us the converse, that love is God. C.S. Lewis. Notice in the text the distinct relationship between God and love from the very beginning of the passage. John says, God is love. God is love. And he says, from God comes love. And then he says, from God in Christ, love is revealed. He doesn't say this, love is God, and from love comes God, right? No. God is love, and from God comes love. This is super important as we talk about our Christian faith with the world around us. Listen, if we confuse the truth that love is God, then our faith, Christianity, becomes nothing more than a sappy, sentimental, warm and fuzzy, humanistic project. It becomes for us a way of life that makes no demands on our thoughts and words and deeds. Then, if love is God and God is not love, then Christianity becomes a worldview that offers no hope for change. It's a belief system then that sees no promise for redemption because redemption isn't needed. All you need is. So, with due respect, and I mean it, to John and Paul and George, all you need is not love. All you need is God, right? Because love, love is not God. God is love. Now, let's apply this because this misunderstanding, it, 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 it's underneath much of our discomfort with God's commands, with what He asks of us and from us, right? Because think about it. If love is God, then God would never ask anything of me that makes me feel unloved, right? Because love is God. If love is God, then the parts of the Bible where God shows His wrath or anger or discipline towards evil, those parts just simply can't be true if love is God. If love is God, then Marcion, from the, the early heretic from the beginning of the church, he was right to say that the God of the Old Testament who he thought was just mean and angry, is a different God than the God of the New Testament, who's nice and loving and accepting. If love is God, then Marcion is right. But love is not God. Beloved, God is love, and God's other biblical characteristics, therefore, His holiness and His anger and His discipline, these aren't superseded. They are included in love. So it sounds like this. In other words, His holiness is loving. His anger is loving. His wrath 
toward evil is loving. His discipline is loving. His sovereignty is loving. Love is not God. God is love. That's the first, that's the first truth from 1 John 4 on love with a capital L. Here's the second. Love has a home, and it lives here. Love with a capital L lives in the church. Um, Cathedral Church of St. Luke, one of the reasons that I have so valued serving as your priest the last few years is because you have taught me, as I've already confessed, a person who struggles to love, you have taught me what it looks like to love. You've tutored me. You've shown me what it looks like to love in the body of Christ. From the way you've cared for uh, my wife Mindy and, and daughter Daphne, to the way that you've served tirelessly in every facet of the cathedral life. I've grown up in the church uh, since I was a little baby. My mom worked in the church, and I promise you this, I've never seen a group of people, I've never seen a church more uh, held up by the, the actions and love and attention of volunteers than at the cathedral. You love this place, you love each other, and it's ministered to me and I'm the priest. From the way you've shown up to people's bedsides when they got sick, to the way that you've grieved each other's losses and celebrated each other's victories, oh my goodness, your love for one another has been inspiring and convicting for me to watch. This is exactly what John is saying in 1 John 4. Love has a home. He would say it like this, cathedral this is your starting place. This is your practice field. This is your, uh, your launching pad for learning how to love. It's right here, you and me, the body of Christ. And, and, and John would say, if you don't love these people here, your family, your brothers and sisters, then we don't have a chance at convincing the world that God loves them. It all starts here, our practice field, our launching pad, our brothers and sisters, our family. Love has a home. Where do we see this in the text? We see it the very first phrase. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, let, us, let me nerd out for just a minute, okay? The word that John uses for love here is very particular. It's the Greek word agape, agape. Listen to how a commentator talks about this word agape. He says, the love that's talked about in John's letter is so unique that the early Christians took a colorless word, an old colorless Greek word, agape, that was rarely used, and they adopted it for their own purposes, filling it with rich, rich meaning. Agape love gives without expecting a return. Agape love is sacrificial. Agape love is what God is. God is agape. That's the word. Jesus died for us as an act of agape love, and we ought to agape love one another. So, in other words, agape lives in the church because it can live nowhere else because God is love. Do you follow that train of thought? God is the one who invented agape, and then He embodied he embodied agape when he came in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so quick questions. Josh, are you saying that uh, we don't love other people of other faiths? No, that is not what I'm saying. Of course we love people of other faiths. Do we love people of no faith? Of course, absolutely. But do we love Christians 
First and foremost, yes, we do. How are you treating other brothers and sisters in Christ in your life? I just have to say this. Are you taking them to court? Paul talks about that. Are you extorting them in sexual ways? Paul talks about that. How are you treating brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you telling them the truth? Man, it's so hard to love well in the church because this is love's home and because sometimes Christians can be so obnoxious. Your giggle tells me that I'm on the right track. (laughs) Isn't it funny that love, the place that love starts right here amongst you and me, is also perhaps one of the hardest places to do love? Because for for Christians, you know, so much is is expected of us. Oh, they're supposed to be holy people, and we're not. They're supposed to not be pretentious or hypocritical, but we are. They're not supposed to be self-righteous and unkind. We absolutely are. And so it's hard to love Christians, and yet that's what God calls us to do first. Friends, we will never know how to love the world unless we know how to love each other in the body of Christ. This is love's home. It starts here because love himself made it that way. We are to agape one another as God has agaped us. All right? That's second truth from John, 1 John 4. Love lives here. Here's the final truth. Only loved people know how to love. Love is not God. Love has a home and it's in the church and only loved people know how to love. So far, the invitation from this text has been um, very clear. Don't say that love is God because God is love and love the body of Christ well, first and foremost. These are our challenges. But as we always try to make clear from this very pulpit, what God calls us to do always flows from who God calls us to be. The imperative follows the indicative. Our obedience to God's commands to love comes not from sheer human effort, but from hearts that have been redeemed and empowered to do what He commands. So here's the, here's the third teaching, love people love. In the 1990s, there was a book that came out published with a great title, and it was this, Hurt People, Hurt People. Hurt People, Hurt People, a profound truth, very Similarly, loved people, love people. Loved people, love people. This is why John starts the whole passage with this word, beloved. This is like saying little agapeites, little people who have been loved by God, now go do what you are. He's saying those who have been agaped, agape one another. In 1 John, the, the, the ability to, to, to love comes directly from God's love for us. We can't love unless we've been loved. We can't give what we don't have. This is the gospel message. We're not people who love perfectly. We're just people who want to share what we've already been given from God. God's agape love for us pours upon our heads at baptism, nourishes us weekly in the Eucharist, and then overflows first in the community of saints and then out to the world. Do you see how it works? We can't give what we don't have. Loved people love. Philosopher Peter Kreef's son 
when he was uh, six years old. He said, he said, Dad, um, why do you love me? Why do you love me? Peter was caught off guard, and so he sort of answered the way that, uh, just the first thing that came to mind, you know, you're a great kid because you're good and you're smart and you're strong, son. That's why I love you. And you know what? Peter's son was disappointed. He said he could see in his face the disappointment. So he said, Peter said, well, I just, I guess I figured I would be honest at that point. And he said, son, um, I, I just love you because you're mine. I just love you because you're mine. His son smiled with relief. Oh, I don't have to be good and smart and great. Thanks, Daddy. Gives him a big hug. I love you because you're mine. That's why I love you. If you struggle today to believe that God could love you, that he does love you, that he will love you no matter what, would you let the words from this scripture passage sink into your soul? By the way, that is how reading the reading of the word of God works. That's why we read it out loud and then we say, thanks be to God. Because it is like Jesus in his, in, in his word whispering to you today, I love you. Not because you're good, smart, and strong, and a great, perfect Christian. No, I love you, Jesus says, because you are mine, son and daughter. There's this great moment almost every week in our service, and we're not going to do it today because it's the Easter season and we're highlighting the resurrection, but normally uh, we have this part of the service where we all get down on our knees and we say, Dear God, I've not been smart, I've not been strong, I've not been good, I've been an unworthy servant, and it's all true, of course. And, and then after that, you know, that's a confession of sin, then after that we have what's called the absolution. You know what the absolution is, don't you? It's where God says to each one of us, through the priest, I love you. But God, I just told you all the bad things that I had done. Yes, I love you. You are mine. I love you. Okay, get this. Right after that happens, we go into the peace. And you know what the peace is? It's not just shaking hands and kissing babies and realizing that you don't know the name of the person that you've been sitting next to for three years, you know? The peace is when we take what God has given us in the absolution and we pass it to one another. God says, Josh, in all of your brokenness, I love you. And then I turn to my friend, Tim, Sarah, Adam, Beth. You have failed me as a friend. I failed you as a friend. I love you. The peace of Christ be always with you. Loved people love, and only loved people know how to love. I'll leave you with this quote from author Henry Nouwen. By the way, if you want to do a little reading on being the beloved of God, two authors come immediately to mind, Brennan Manning, Henry Nouwen, just virtually anything that they've written about has something to do with being loved by God and how that translates to the rest of your Christian life. Henry Nouwen is describing the whole Christian life to a friend, and he says it this way, all I want to say to you, friend, is that you are the beloved. And I hope you can hear these words spoken to you with all the tenderness and force that love can hold. You are the beloved. The greatest gift my friendship can give to you is the gift of your belovedness. I can give that only insofar 
as I have claimed it for myself. Isn't that what Christian friendship is all about? Giving to each other the gift of our belovedness? Giving to each other the gift of our belovedness. Brothers and sisters, may we be a people who know what love with a capital L is all about. A people who know that God is crazy about us. And as a result, we can be crazy about one another. And then in the end, we will show the world that God just might be crazy about them too. Amen.